0: You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Open your Bibles to John chapter 21. We've been doing a series that's coming off of uh, the Victor and the Prize booklet that came from Vineyard National. And uh, we're looking at the healing of love today. It's called the Victor and the Prize we're looking at that time period between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension followed by 10 days of prayer and Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. So we're, we're, we're doing kind of a series and we're looking to those passages of scripture in that area. And uh, as I say every week, and I'll have to say it again this week, do you think the disciples listened to Jesus a little more acutely after the resurrection? Can you imagine <laughs> once you thought the Messiah had died and you thought, well, he must not have been the Messiah. And then Jesus appears and all of a sudden now he's, he's speaking for 40 days about the kingdom of God. I think my ears would be attuned and I would be just anticipating every word that would come off his lips, and so I'd be there, full attention, giving everything that I have to hear what he's going to tell me about the kingdom. So we've looked at that. We looked at at the women when when they went to the tomb. We we looked at the, the appearance of the disciples, the two on the road to Emmaus. We've looked at that. And we we last week we looked at Thomas, and and. You know, the disciples already, all of them, but Thomas was there when Jesus came into the room. And, that, and then last week we looked at what happened when, when uh, Thomas was there and just the, the restoration there. I just love this about resurrection love. The love of Jesus is so powerful. And now as he's resurrected, we see that one of the very first things that he's doing is he's securing people's hearts with his love. Thomas who doubts the disciples who are are all confused and he's constantly coming and he's dealing with them from a love perspective. Now can you imagine? Here's Peter. Let's just kind of look at the thing. I only have a couple verses up on the on the screen, but we've got to look at the whole chapter. Aren't you glad I'm going to just preach from the whole chapter? Yeah just said oh man well at least the first half of the chapter john chapter 21 verse 1 afterward jesus appeared to his disciples by the sea of tiberias it happened this way simon peter thomas nathaniel the sons of zebedee and two other disciples were together I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, these are professional fishermen, but they've been following Jesus for three years. So their casting technique might be a little uh, rusty, who knows. But early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends. Haven't you any fish? Now, isn't that a nice question? <laughs> yeah. I go down to the pond in the neighborhood and go fishing. And first thing Ada Margaret asks me when I come in the door is, Well, did you catch anything? And you know how many times I've had to say, Nothing. Way too many times. And I'm not a professional fisherman. I can't imagine how it must kind of get in the, <clears throat> the angst of, of a professional fisherman when you've got to admit that you fished all night and you don't even have a little bluegill <laughs> to account for. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large amount of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Then Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Oh my God. Does this tell you anything about John, the beloved disciple? He must have been good with math. It's about 100 yards, no fish. 153 fish, large fish. Okay, I like that. But even so, with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Father, thank you for your word. We're so thankful for the record that records the life, the ministry, the words of Jesus. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what the Spirit is saying to the church. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. So Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And now this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. See, the grave's not the stopping point of love's mission. It's not just the the mission of the love of God to get Jesus to die for our sins, but to rise again on the third day. And with his resurrection comes the release, the the conquering of our death, uh, the the redemption of suffering and sorrow. (laughs) And Jesus comes to once again, show the full effect of love. Mm-hmm. Love leads the resurrection message. First Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Can you remember a moment in your life when the love of Jesus came to you and you were so overwhelmed by his love for you that something got healed? Yes. Hmm. We were at the conference at Urbana at the Champagne Vineyard and I was in a workshop, and, and the speaker, Ken Fish, was, was really talking about some advanced healing. And the presence of the Lord just filled that conference room. There probably had to be, oh, maybe 150, 200 people that were in the conference uh, workshop. And right then, the love of God just came on me so incredibly. Now, being a diabetic, my feet has started to give me some problems, you know, the, there's there's kind of an ache in my feet. It's it's a weird kind of ache. It's it's not because I stubbed my toe or anything like that. It's not a throbbing pain, but it's just an ache. And I noticed that as the love of God entered the room, all of a sudden, all my aching feet pain just left. And it, how many you know? You think about your feet. Anybody thinking about your feet right now? <laughs> Probably because your feet hurt. <laughs> or you've heard my story and now that triggered feet. Oh yeah, how's my feet doing? Oh yeah. I never think about my feet unless they're aching. And then as, as as the love of God just filled the room, all of a sudden the ache left. And I never thought about my feet the rest of the week. It wasn't even there. There was no ache. A matter of fact, every now and then they felt so refreshed. I don't know what refresh Feet feel like, (laughs) but my feet felt so refreshed that I noticed how good they felt. I've never noticed how good my feet feel. The resurrection, power, and love bring healing, and it's at the forefront of the gospel of the kingdom. And so we see our very first point that love leads the resurrection message the resurrection message of the kingdom of God, the great and wonderful news of the gospel. Jesus understood the deep, profound healing nature of his love. He understood that. And he knew that when he released it, it would have an effect on those who would receive it. So here he is, he's with his disciples. This is the third time he's with them. Uh, He doesn't say, hey, it's me. You know, he just... He engages them, and as they come to shore, Peter jumping in. Why is Peter always jumping in? Peter is so impulsive. He's so he's, he's, he's got that temperament that he just doesn't wait. He's got to go. And so he's in the water. He's there. He gets there. And the other thing is I, I thought, well, why didn't he let his outer garment just stay on the boat? You know? and just swim in and then he put his outer garment on and it'd be dry. I don't know, maybe it was shallow enough that he, he, but it said it wrapped around him. So when he got in, I'm sure it had to get wet. You know, some of the cartoons that we show with the children of, of this story, you know, Peter dives in from off the boat and swims ashore and stuff like this, but it says it was pretty shallow. So, but I, I imagine it got wet. So there's Peter, wet so eager to get to Jesus, and then once he gets to Jesus, he's still, he's still dealing with, with what's going on inside about how he denied Jesus three times. H- have you had that? Someone's there. You love the person. You can't wait to get with them, but then you remember, oh, we have, a, we have unfinished business We have unfinished business, and I forgot that uh, I said I didn't know him three times. At probably the most desperate hour of his life, I denied him three times. I don't know. To me, it it just makes sense that that's Peter, that he can't wait to get with Jesus. And then once he gets to Jesus, he remembers, uh uh-oh, and he doesn't really know how to engage. Even though Jesus has appeared, and this is the third time, so the first, first time they were all just kind of overwhelmed with great joy, and, you know, and he thought he denied him and he was dead. And now he sees that he's alive, so now he's dealing with that level of denial, but he's, he's probably just overjoyed with the, with the reality that Jesus has been resurrected, that he's alive. So he's all excited about that. The second time comes, the, the whole focus seems to be on Thomas. and so Peter's a little bit left off the hook. doesn't have to he's just happy Jesus is here. and now it's just him and Jesus. The first two times it's Jesus with the disciples and Peter. This time the disciples are still in the boat. they're coming and now it's one-on-one time with Jesus. How awkward do you think Peter felt? Man, knowing that there's still something that probably in Peter's mind has really disqualified him from that relationship that he had before the crucifixion with Jesus. Now he's with Jesus and and he's got this disqualification of his denial. Jesus has already got the fish going, but he tells them to bring some more. So you know, a number of disciples there, they're big eaters, so Jesus is going to keep uh, the buffet going and keep those, those fish grilled. But he already had some fish going. And Peter being the first one there, he probably got one of those fish that Jesus had specifically prepared. Hmm. So here's Peter. Well, what does he do? so excited that Jesus is alive, but there's something going on inside that he feels like, I can't really be the leader that I was. I can't be the spokesman of the group. I've got to take a subordinate position, and if he'll let me just be among the disciples, I'll be happy. Hmm. But Jesus' love is so great. It manifests to the women. It comes to the disciples. It comes to Thomas. And now it's Peter's turn. Hmm. Thomas is the skeptic. Peter is the one that denied him three times. Point number two, love accepts us just as we are. Paul writes in Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. The kindness of love, the patience of love, the understanding of the love of Christ as it comes to encounter Peter, his heart goes out to him. And he's going to reinstate him. I love this. I love this passage of Scripture. How often have we defined ourselves by the last big mistake that we had committed? Being a counselor, so often I can get people to accept the forgiveness of God, but I can't get them to forgive themselves. And something about our humanity that when we blow it and we know that we shouldn't have blown it, and we know that we know that we know we knew better than to do that, and oftentimes this can be in in areas of addiction where kind of our our willpower just turns to butter and and we give in and we cave, and, and it's on those kind of things that that... It's, it's so hard for us to forgive ourselves. <laughs> and back when I was a professional counselor and they were paying me, the longer it took them to forgive themselves, the more money I made. You know, they just would keep coming back in. We'd keep going over the same thing. They would get there. They could receive the forgiveness of Jesus, but they couldn't forgive themselves. And so they would be under the torment of the evil one as he'd beat them up and, and remind them of their mistake and remind them that they're not worthy to even be called a Christian. And as he would do that, then they'd come back and I would encourage them that no, Jesus loves them. Blah, 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 blah. But they still couldn't forgive themselves. Hmm. You can't make someone else forgive themselves they have to do that as an exercise of their own will. And the way the enemy gets inside of us and makes white look black and black look white and up look down and down look up and he gets everything distorted and twisted, we get our wires all confused that we don't even know how to forgive ourselves. Matter of fact, many of our super religious folks, they feel like, the more that they are unforgiving toward themselves, the more they have the approval of the Father. Does that make any sense? It goes something like this. God, I am a rotten person because of what I did. And I see how rotten I am. Aren't you impressed that I see how rotten I am? Man, I have discernment and I'm able to see the hidden, subtle, bad motives that I have. And therefore, aren't you impressed? Oh boy. How many many sons and daughters do you have that can really see how bad they are? I know how bad I am. And it's the craziest conversation that we have and it's the way the enemy once again, twists our understanding so that (laughs) the good news becomes the bad news and the bad news becomes the good news. And it's like, no, 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 no. Forgiven. We've been looking at this now for several months about being in Christ and Christ in you. We started with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We, we've looked at the prayer of Jesus, his high priestly prayer. We, we see that you know, the love that the Father has for Jesus, that love he has for us. The love that Jesus has for the Father, because he lives in us, that's the love that we have for the Father. And as we start understanding this stuff, you're going to start to see it break through as you really take time to meditate on this. It's going to start breaking through in all the expressions of your life. This morning as we was worshiping, Holy Spirit just came, and I realized I was in Jesus. I was so in Jesus. And this is like the great big Jesus, and there I was inside Jesus. And as I was worshiping, guess what? When you're in Jesus like that, and he's the great big, and you're, you're in him, there is no fear or no shame whatsoever in going into the very throne room of the Father. And as we rolled in and worship, as we went into the throne room of the Father, who I'm getting goosebumps just remembering it. It was so wonderful because we're, we're, we're hidden in him. We're absolutely in him. No doubt, So amazing. So absolutely amazing. I've been doing a little bit of what Putty's been encouraging us in the School of Kingdom Ministry, looking in the mirror and realizing that Jesus is in me. Not only am I in Jesus, but Jesus is in me. And looking in the mirror and trying to find Jesus, where is he? Ah, I see you. That's the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit can speak to us so many different ways, and this may offend some. But Avatar has been on the movie station this week. And I I, I saw it day before yesterday, I think it was, and I... Got to watch part of it and couldn't watch because it's a long movie. But I just love in that when they say, I see you. Mm -hmm. And towards the end, you know, for those that haven't seen the movie, a human being goes in this contraption, looks like a casket, and in there he gets into uh, another body. That's this huge body and it's blue and all this kind of stuff. But towards the end end of the movie, he's in there, he's, he's using oxygen, he finally gets some oxygen. And and the gal that he loves says, I see you, and sees him in his human form rather than in his avatar body. And he's, Now, I probably shouldn't have taken all this time to try to explain that. But that did something to me. That was just so amazing. The Holy Spirit spoke right then and it says, I see you. And I see you completely. I see you when you've denied me. I've seen you when you've come up short. When you've done those things, those big mistakes that you think that have disqualified you, I see you. And when he says it, it's not a shaming I see you. I know what you did. It's no, I see you above and beyond your foulest, worst moments. I see you who are created in the image of my Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, gosh, that's good enough to preach. Mm-hmm. OMG. So we're not defined by our mistakes, we're not defined by sin. Uh, we're, we're not defined by that. We're not defined by our inadequacies, our, our failures. We're defined by being in him. He is the one that defines us. That's, that's good news. Oh, God is so incredible that it's never difficult for him to forgive us. But we have to forgive ourselves. When we really see ourselves for who we are, We will start to love ourselves as Christ has loved us. It's really a form of superior spirituality when somehow we won't forgive ourselves, but Jesus has forgiven us. The Father has forgiven us. The Holy Spirit has forgiven us. If they have forgiven us and we haven't, it's like we put our own opinion above God's and it's like now I am the supreme authority of the universe and I choose to withhold forgiveness from myself which is absolutely ridiculous it's so arrogant it's it's based on a total wrong understanding of who God is if God has forgiven us then who are we to condemn yeah, he says something about that in Romans 8. That's good. So it's his loving forgiveness. It's part of his resurrection plan. <laughs> our own life has been raised from death, the death of our big mistake. So whatever it is that the enemy uses as that which disqualifies us, that restricts us, that that limits us, that that confines us, whatever he's used to try to put us into some kind of isolation mode, we find that resurrection love has has more than enough power to blow that completely apart. So the last thing, love gives us a great commission. Looking once again at John 21, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, I know you've heard many stories that's talking about the Greek words for love where Jesus says the first two times, Peter, do you agape? And he's using the verbal form from the word agape, do you, do you love me? And that's kind of the unconditional love, you know, the, the God kind of love. And then finally, the third time that Jesus says it, he goes to, to the phileo. He goes to brotherly love. Do you love me like a brother? And a lot of times, you know, some theologians and scholars have said that this is, you know, Jesus is saying, do you really love me, you know, with, with the radical, deep, deep, deep love that God has? And he says, Lord, yes. And yes, Lord. And Jesus sees that he's struggling. And so he says, well, do you like me like a brother? Do you, do you, I mean, let's find a foundation that we can start on. And I don't think that's at all what's going on here. Not that I'm smarter than the scholars, but there's a variety of scholars that have a variety of different opinions. But I think because Peter had denied him three times, Jesus had to, to bring in the reality of reinstating Peter. Peter, do you love me? Agape, agape, phileo. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think when he goes to phileo, he's talking, do you love me in a spiritual sense? Do you love me in a spiritual sense? Do you love me as a brother? And I think there's almost a, 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 I think an increasing intimacy when Jesus moves, do you love me like a brother? Now, Peter's response to this is he's hurt, you know, for the third time for the third time. And then the text goes silent. We don't get the rest of how Peter processed this. We don't get the rest of the story of, you know, Peter's hurt that the Lord called him a third time, you know, and he does one of those, uh, you know, uh, Elijah type of, uh, you know, can, can these bones live again? Lord, thou knowest, you know. And so he, Lord, you know. Do you love me like a brother? Lord, you know. And I think Jesus always knows exactly what he's doing when he's asking us questions. And I think when he's engaging us, he knows even when we don't know at the time. And as John is recording this, I don't think Peter has a clue the impact this is going to have a little bit later on. Because we see it starts to take effect. Come Pentecost, who's back into primary spokesperson Who preaches to the masses and explains what is happening right there? It's Peter. And Peter is the dominant person in the first part of the book of Acts. He is the one the Holy Spirit is using and and the miracles are taking place. And all of this, all this to just say, the resurrection love of the Lord Jesus Christ will come to each one of us where the enemy has shamed us, has restricted us, has caused us to feel confined, has caused us to feel like we've made the unpardonable sin. We've done the mistake that's the biggest mistake, and and therefore we are no longer worthy. But resurrection love comes to us. And it brings healing. It brings healing to that place in our heart where the enemy has tried to lie to us and make us feel like we have just forever changed our relationship with God. Hmm. So the good news was Peter was commissioned, he was ordained to do the task for which failure had disqualified him. Now Jesus trumps the failure with his resurrection love. Many here have been called, have been ordained by the Lord. You may not have had a religious ceremony, but you've been ordained by the Lord. You've been chosen. And you had a mission. You had a commissioning. He has a mission for you. But then we did something that we feel like has disqualified us. I remember listening to my dad talk to me one day as I was answering the call to the ministry. The Lord called me when I was 14, and I knew where he had called me. And my dad was sharing his lament that the Lord had called him too. But that he said no and got busy with other things. And I could see the sorrow in his heart. And he truly felt like he let the Lord down and that he was a second-class Christian. My dad went on to uh, be the bus pastor. At our church, he had a love for kids. And he was bringing in on 13 buses over on certain Sundays over 600 children were being brought to church by a person who was disqualified. Yeah. So whatever lies the enemy's been trying to really get wedged into your heart, your soul, let's acknowledge them as we come to the table of the Lord. This morning is a commissioning and a reinstatement and a breaking of every false lie that the enemy has said that you thought was true about you. But I pray now that maybe you're having second doubts, second thoughts on that. Maybe I'm not disqualified. And today, as we come to the table, the Lord, this is open for everyone. You don't have to be a member of this church. As, as, as the Lord Jesus is your Lord and Savior, as you come forward, let's come and let's, let's anticipate the Holy Spirit moving through the sacrament of the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood. And there to be a fresh reinstatement of our divine mission first, of our identity, that we are a son and daughter of the Most High. And secondly, He's called us to be equipped and to love with resurrection love, all those that come across our path. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.